Matthew chapter 7, judge not that ye be not judged. Uh, you know what? It's one of those verses, those rare verses that has made it into the, uh, the common vernacular. Every, everybody knows that verse. Judge not uh, that ye be not judged. And um, it's one of the most oft-quoted and most oft-misinterpreted verses uh, in the scripture. And so we're going to look at it today. We're going to, we're going to first of all have to look at the fact that it's uh, misinterpreted, and then we're going to look at what it does mean, because Jesus did say it. A Sermon on the Mount, radical teaching. Uh, he did say it. He said, judge not that ye be not judged. So it's important that we actually get our minds around it. And remember, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, and as we look at rather just the idea of obeying the commands of Jesus Christ, we're, we're looking at it because he said, uh, if, you keep my if you love me and keep my commandments, I will abide with you. And we want that, don't we? We all want that close walk with Jesus Christ, and we can't have that unless we do those things that he said for us to do. And the Sermon on the Mount was radical teaching, and what he's saying now is radical, as far as judge not that you be not judged. And you and I need to embrace it and actually take it on board, uh, because what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount is deep. All those things, if you actually take and apply them in your life, that they have huge effect, impact right throughout your life. So we need to actually take it and uh, apply it in our lives. Um, <clears throat> some have used this verse to mean that we cannot ever come to a decision about whether something is right or wrong. That's blatantly absurd. You have to decide whether something is right or wrong. I mean, you decide all the time on things that are right and things that are wrong. It's impossible to live your life uh, apart from doing that. I, there has to be things that are right and wrong. Now, we are in a, we are in a very strange day uh, because everything has become relative. And uh, this verse has been more easy to take out of context because there's your truth and my truth and everybody else's truth. No, some things are right, some things are wrong, and that's absolute. Right? And so uh, when we talk about this, we can't make it the, the, the reason to do anything that we like. Uh, some people have used it for a cloak for sin. I'm sure you've heard somebody say this. I have heard many people say this. Don't judge me. God knows my heart. Now, what they're saying there is, don't judge me. God knows my heart. Uh, you may not think it's right. It may not be right, but God knows my heart, and I'm okay. I can do it anyway. Right? Folks, if God says you can't do it, it doesn't matter what you think about it or what somebody else says to you or what the modern thinking is, then you can't do it. And if you do it, because you have a free will, you have to reckon on the consequences. There, there, there's always consequences. There's, there's always problems that come into your life when you do it. Um, so we're going to look at the passage, Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read from verses 1 down through verse 6. Right? <clears throat> judge not that ye be not judged. For with, with what judgment ye judge... You shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Now, we should take note of, of, of the second verse there. You know what I mean? That how you judge is going to come back on you. I mean, there, there is a law of sowing and reaping in this life. God has woven it into the reality of life. It's just there. Different people call it different things, but you know what? It's the law of sowing and reaping. And what you sow, you reap. And what you sow, as far as being a judge, you're going to reap in your life. It's going to come back on you. Uh, 
And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? And the mote's a speck of dust. If you're ever working with wood and you're sawing wood or something, a mote is a tiny piece of dust that gets in your eye, and it's so painful, isn't it? It is so painful. I kind of stop the world till I get this sorted out. I need to get this out of my eye. And he says, why do you behold the mote that is in your brother's eye? And then he gives a ridiculous example. But consider us not the beam that is in thine own eye. So your brother's got a speck of dust in his eye, and you go after him on it, and you ignore the fact that there's a much bigger problem in your life. Now, and we're capable of doing that, aren't we? Interesting story from, uh, from the, uh, the life of David. When David <clears throat> was confronted by Nathan, Nathan came in and, and, you know, David had sinned with Bathsheba. He had committed adultery, and then he had murdered Uriah. And so when, when Nathan comes in and confronts David and says, you know, this man, you know, he had lots of sheep, but he stole his neighbor's sheep, David, David loses the plot. And he says, he should die. Okay, well, hang on a minute. That's not what the law required. Why is David being so harsh? Well, here's what David's doing. David's seeing a moat because of his own sin. What he's doing is he's reacting and his judgment is very harsh. Now, he gets it right. Uh, he, he gets it right and he sorts it. It does cost him greatly, though. Uh, but the point about it is that our judgment can be very harsh on other people and very soft on us. Part of human nature. We can let ourselves off the hook for lots of things. But when it comes to somebody else, oh. And sometimes when we've got sin in our lives, we can be even more harsh than, than normal. And what we're doing, and what God is saying is, hang on a minute, what Jesus is saying here, listen, stop looking at the speck of dust in your brother's eye and deal with your own stuff. Get your, get your own stuff sorted out. Uh, or wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull the moat out of thine eye and behold a beam is in thine own eye. Well, problem there, isn't there? How are you going to actually see to help him with the speck of dust that's in his eye? If you've got a, a beam in your own eye, you, you ever ask somebody to help you when you've got something in your eye and they haven't got their glasses? You don't want that person helping you. Right? <laughs> if they wear glasses, you want their glasses on when they're trying to help you uh, with your eye because it's real tender. And, and what he's saying, if you've got a moat in your eye, uh, if you've got a beam in your own eye, don't try and help your brother. Um, <clears throat> thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam of thine own eye and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Let's pray. Father, would you bless your word to us. Lord, we know that we can uh, misinterpret this and we can work it to suit ourselves. And we know, Lord, we live in a culture that's done that. Lord, help us to be true and honest to you and to the scripture. And help us to take on board the truth you have. Lord, we, we want to walk close to you. We, we want to walk in that abiding relationship with you. Help us now, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we're going to look at three points. Jesus is not saying that we should never judge. Right? That's absurd. We'll look at that. Uh, <clears throat> secondly, uh, it, it, it does mean that you're not to have a critical spirit, though. You're not to have that critical spirit. And then it means judge yourself first. Be harshest on yourself before you actually turn to other people. All right, so uh, Jesus is not saying that we should never judge. Judge not that ye be not judged. We cannot live without coming to decisions. To judge means basically to come to a decision about whether something is right or wrong. You have to do that all the time in life. 
you have to come to that decision about whether things are right in your own life and in the lives of others, right? In fact, if we look at the Bible, we find people being called upon to do that often, right? Jesus did it. If you go through, the, if you go through his ministry, he called out wrong all the time. I mean, in, in um, Matthew 23, when, when he calls the, 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 the Pharisees the, a generation of vipers and hypocrites, he's, he's judging their hearts. Now, do be careful, because when Jesus judged, he knew. He wasn't just guessing. He wasn't just adding up what's happening in your life. He actually knew what the heart was. He, he, he's on a whole different level. Remember, Jesus is the judge of all the earth. Uh, but oftentimes, he, he judged what people were saying and judged what they were doing. Uh, believers have judged the lost. In, in Acts chapter 8, uh, um, man gets saved, Simon gets saved. Now, this is not Simon Peter, it's another Simon. And when he sees the disciples laying hands uh, and, and giving people the gift of the Spirit, he is awed. He's been a sorcerer. He's been, he's been playing tricks all his life and, uh, and making money out of them. When he sees the disciples doing this, he says, Oh, give me this power. I'll, I'll give you money for it. And Peter instantly judges him. Peter says to him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. And he tells him, You're being caught in the gall of bitterness. And me, so what, what does Peter do there? Peter judges his actions and says, No, listen, you are wrong. You're in the wrong place. Um, <clears throat> Christians uh, judged other Christians. Paul judged Peter in Galatians 2. He was stood under the face because he was wrong. Uh, the church is to judge others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're to judge what's right and wrong. The guy was caught in all kinds of sin. He was living wickedly. And the, the church was called upon to actually judge and say, no, this is wrong. You can't do this. And they were to put him out of the church. Uh, in fact, Paul actually criticizes the church at Corinth for not judging this guy. They thought they were being all spiritual because of it, but he says, no, you're not. You're, you're supposed to judge this guy, right? Uh, and in fact, Jesus even said this. He said, uh, yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not that which is right? That we're to judge. Listen, Jesus is not saying when he says, uh, thou shalt not judge, don't judge. That's, that, that's not what we're saying. That's not what we're looking at. You have to look deeper into the scripture to come to the answer of what's happening here. Um, even lost people have to make a judgment as far as salvation is concerned. You know, the, there's nobody that can hide under this, don't judge me. That's not what it's saying. If it's wrong, it's wrong. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. And if you have a friend that loves you enough to come and tell you that it's wrong, you need to be thankful for that friend. You need to be thankful for that person that comes and tells you this is wrong. You, you, you don't need to, to, to create this whiffle dust thing where scripture says one thing and I can live another way and it's okay because nobody can judge me, right? No, if it's wrong and you've got a good friend, that good friend should come to you and say to you, listen, this is wrong. You, you shouldn't be living like this. You shouldn't be doing this. And by the way, we all need people in our lives like that because you know, we're not that great. We're not that great. We have a capacity for convincing ourselves that something is okay uh, you know, because we want it. And we can take ourselves far down the line. You need people in your life that are going to say to you, really? <clears throat> are, you really are you really going to try and make that out to be okay? So, so don't pull the, don't judge me. God knows my heart card. That, that's, that, that's not a card. That, that doesn't exist. All right? <clears throat> um, if it's wrong, it's wrong. 
and you need to face it and deal with the wrong. Secondly, though, what does it mean? It means, because Jesus said it. You can't just look at something Jesus said then demolish it and say uh, it doesn't mean anything. No, he said it. He said it with intent. Uh, it means don't have a critical spirit. Don't have that harsh, critical spirit. Um, <clears throat> Roberts defines it as not having a habit of censoriousness, sharp, unjust criticism. And we all know somebody like that, don't we? Somebody who's just critical in their bones. You know, somebody, somebody who will always find something wrong in the situation, and, um, you know, that's the, that, that's the way they live. And really what happens is you, you, you kind of shy away from that person because you know they're criticizing other people today, but you know it's going to be you tomorrow. So you should, what they end up doing is they end up building a barrier around them, and some people will pride themselves on it. They will say, well, I've got, I've got the gift of discernment. No, uh, the gift of discernment is not that harsh, critical spirit. That harsh, critical spirit is wrong. Uh, it's deadening. It kills. It, 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 it hurts people. There was a man <clears throat> watching a wrecking crew tearing down a building, and he asked the foreman, did it take skilled men? And the foreman said, no, unskilled labor. But with this unskilled labor, I can destroy more in a week than skilled men can build in a year. And a critical spirit does that. It destroys. That, that spirit that's always fault-finding, that's always looking for what's wrong, that's always looking, you know, to find what's wrong, that, 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 you know, that scans you when you come in, that, that listens to what you're saying, and they listen to what you're saying, and you know that, 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 that they're trying to find something wrong in what I'm saying. <clears throat> that, that spirit is, is, is wrong. Uh, you're not to have that. You're not to, to look upon others with that caustic eye of criticism. You're not to have that kind of a spirit. Are you like the unskilled labor that tears down or the skilled men who build? The Bible says in, in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. Do you know that we're supposed to minister grace? We're supposed to minister God's enabling power to help people to live the Christian life. But you know, the critical spirit doesn't help anyone do anything. It's disabling. It tears down. It destroys. The problem with that kind of critical spirit is that it's the opposite of the loving spirit that Christian is called to have. Christians are called to have. In fact, it destroys that loving spirit. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it says, A love doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not our own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. How do you reconcile a crit critical spirit with the thinketh no evil? Now, by the way, let me, let me say this to you. All of us have an element of this in us, don't we? Because all the bad stuff is easy. It's easy for us to get drawn into this critical spirit where we, where we, where we look at other people. Uh, and, and, you know, and we find fault in them for, for a whole bunch of reasons, sometimes to make ourselves feel better. Sometimes it's just because we're proud. Sometimes people really think they have it together, uh, completely together, and, and they think they are the person that should be uh, the critic of, of other people. But the Bible says, thinketh no evil. That's not where you go in your head. You train your head not to go to the evil, not, not to go to the wrong. Now, we can all do that. We can all go that place. But what you're doing is you're training, you're saying, no, I'm not going to go that direction. 
<clears throat> rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That's love. That's what we're called to be. And you can't have that in a caustic, critical spirit. You just can't have it. It's, it's never going to work for you. Uh, the Pharisees are a perfect example of a critical spirit. Remember the Pharisees watched the Lord Jesus Christ and they followed him because they loved him and they wanted to hear what he had to say. Not hardly. They followed him and they listened to him hoping to catch him out. He says it several times. Luke 6, 7 says, And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him, whether he, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find accusation against him. They watched him. Uh, Luke 20, verse 20, And they watched him and sent forth spies which should feign themselves just men, that they might take hold of his words, so that they might deliver him into the power of the, and the authority of the governor. Right? They watched for the purpose of finding something wrong. The purpose of their watching is that, just to find something wrong. That's the spirit of a critic. They watch and they listen. Not, not, not so they can see something that's a blessing or hear something that's a blessing to them, but so that they can find something wrong in it. Do you know some people like that? You do, don't you? And you, what do you do? You just, you just stay away from them. You, know, uh, you, you don't want to be around them. Uh, they were harsh and judgmental, the Pharisees. They were fault finders, always looking for something wrong. Uh, Jesus didn't do it the way they expected the Messiah to do it, so they rejected him. They decided early. Uh, early on, they decided against him, and so what they did was they spent the rest of the time trying to catch him out, trying to get him to say something wrong, trying to find some fault. They were critics. Imagine, these men had the Son of God walk in their midst. Jesus who is love, who was going to die for their sins. And because of a critical spirit, they didn't see it. They, they, they couldn't see it. They, could, they, they couldn't take it, take it on board. Uh, <clears throat> this judgmental spirit uh, is often cloaked as a discerning spirit, but that's not what it is. It's, it's harsh and critical. And, and people do it, and, and it is so wrong. Now, let me give you some examples of what it will do in your life, how it will affect your life. It's a wrecker of marriages. If you have a critical spirit towards your spouse, you're going to destroy your marriage. Because love can't exist in the same place as that caustic, critical spirit. It's impossible. You know, you know, what happens is if you've got a caustic, critical spirit around you, you build a wall to keep it out. You, you, you build a wall to stop that person from hurting you. That's what it does. It, it, it doesn't help people to get right. You see, you can either choose to look at the good things in your spouse or the wrong things. Right? And listen, every one of us has some good and some badness. <laughs> every one of us. Uh, and it depends on where you're looking, doesn't it? You know, but, but, but you start looking for the bad in somebody. You start looking. You start focusing on that. You start always watching for that. Even if you don't say it, they know. They know. And you know what? What happens is you unravel the marriage. Philippians 4.8 tells us this, though. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report... If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. That if you, instead of looking at your spouse 
and thinking about this and like that and talking about them and saying all those things, will look at your spouse and focus, emphasize on the good of that spouse, what will happen is your heart towards them will change. Because everybody in this room is a broken person. Your spouse is a broken person. No, listen, you, you could focus on lots that's wrong about them. But you could also focus on the good like the Bible tells you to. And I guarantee you, it's, it's, it's always easier to do the wrong thing. I mean, that's just, that's just written into us, isn't it? That, that by nature, we will always go down. By nature, we will always do the wrong thing. And what you have to do is you have to plan to do the right thing. You have to purpose to do the right thing. You know, if you want your marriage to be good, what you've got to do is you've got to purpose uh, to look on the good in that person. There's no other way for you to do it. Um, <clears throat> Um, a critical spirit will also wreck your relationship with your children. Uh, the poem says, if a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. And I don't know about that, but I do know that your relationship with your children cannot flourish under a critical, caustic eye. Can't. Your, your children just can't endure that. Now listen, as parents, you are called to correct them, to discipline, to straighten them out. That's, that's real important in their lives. Right? A child left to himself is going to bring shame. You know, uh, you, you, you're called to correct them, to deal with them. But if all your relationship with your children is taken up with you being caustic and critical to them, I tell you what, you're going to destroy them. You're just going to destroy them. And I realize, I've raised kids, I, I realize there are times when, listen, they can drive you nuts. There are times when, you know, when they, uh, they're, doing, they're, they're not getting it right, they're not doing it right, and it can drive you absolutely Nuts, and you can get really critical. You know what? When that happens, you need to get help. You need to get out of your box and get help because you're doing damage now. You're just being critical. You're, you're, you're doing damage. Uh, your relationship with your children becomes toxic, and it can happen in a parent. Listen, in a parent who wants to do the right thing, it can happen. You know, that you, you, you start going after them, and all you can see is the wrong. And because all you can see is the wrong, all they're doing is wrong. And so it just gets worse and worse and worse. And it can get really toxic. And you know, you say if the child would change. Listen, the child is not the adult in the situation. You are. You need to change. Because they can't live with that toxicity around them. They can't live with, with that critical spirit around them. You need to actually change. You need to go get some counsel, get someone to help you. Get your, get your head out of it and actually begin to see clearly and begin to count some of the good things about those kids. You can't just be constantly critical of them. A critical spirit will also wreck your relationship with the church. And it can be used of the devil to wreck a church. See, the church is a family and there's supposed to be love and acceptance for all. Correction, yeah. Discipline, yeah. But, but you're supposed to feel when you come in here, accepted. You're supposed to feel loved. And when you don't, you know, when you come in and you feel like you're under that, that, that caustic criticism where people are, are, are looking at you and, and thinking bad of you, you know, listen, that, 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 the church doesn't function like it's supposed to function. You say, but, but, but things are wrong and I want, to, I want to get them right. Yeah, they, they, they may be wrong and you, and you may want to get them right. And you might even be right about some of the things that are wrong. But a judgmental spirit's never going to get you there. Critical spirit's never going to get you there. 
You know, listen, a word from somebody who loves you will create more good in your life than a million words from somebody who's just critical of you. Really, if you don't have an investment in somebody's life, your criticism of them should be kept to yourself because you don't have the ability to actually get in there and help them. What happens is you you just end up hardening them. Listen, the church needs to be a place of love. It needs to be a place where we can come from the world and and, and feel loved and feel cared for and feel like, you know, but certainly not have that caustic criticism going on. That, that, that is death uh, to what God wants for the church, right? And then, number three, you need to judge yourself first. Judge yourself first. The Bible says if we would judge ourselves, then we would not be judged. We're not so good at that, are we? None of us. I'm not so good at that. You know, it's, it, it, it's easy to look at other people's faults and judge them. But when it comes to judging your own faults, that's a different thing, because we're sensitive, aren't we? And, and, and we hate it when somebody points out something that's wrong. But honestly, if you have a friend that's willing to point out something that's wrong in your life, uh, you need to be uh, grateful for the fact that you have a person that's willing to actually say it to you. And, and Jesus gives that you know, ridiculous example, right? a, you know, a log, a beam in your own eye. But you're supposed to take the beam out of your own eye. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Deal with yourself before you deal with somebody else. Somebody says, if you're going to criticize someone's faults, count 10 of your own first. You say, I don't think I have 10 faults. Ask some good friends. They'll help you. (laughs) Ask your wife. Ask your husband. I'm telling you, uh, they'll help you. They'll they'll get you there pretty quick, right? Uh, But think of, you know, deal with with 10 of your own faults before you actually come to the place where you start dealing uh, with somebody else. What that'll do for you is that'll give you compassion. Because we're not perfect. We don't get it all right. Now, when we go into our judgmental mode, uh, we, we want to act like we get it all right. When David is saying, that, that guy's supposed to die, he's living a pretend life like he's got it all right and he's got a huge big log in his eye. <clears throat> but uh, it gives you compassion because you, 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 you know the pain of dealing with something in your own life. It's kind of like, you know... <clears throat> If you've had a speck in your eye recently and you go to somebody else to try and help them remove the speck out of their eye, well, you know what? You're a bit sensitive to them, aren't you? You're compassionate because you know what that feels like. And when you remember, I'm not perfect. I get it wrong. I've missed it. That, that helps you. It will also make your message more sincere. Because, you know, the, the reality is that you're, you're reckoning on your own sin. You've counted up your own sin. It will make your message more sincere. Uh, when you've been in bondage and found uh, release, you know what? You, you can actually help somebody else uh, to see it, see that it's possible. It's possible for you to get out of this. You know, and I know because I've been there. It, it, it's possible for you to, to, to step out of this uh, for things to be better. You, we need to be in that place where, where we're <clears throat> actually dealing with our own sin. You know, it's hypocritical for us to deal with the sin of others. Let me give you an example, by the way. This is the church at large, right? The church has a lot to say about same-sex marriage, right? Listen, same-sex marriage is wrong. 
Like God said, one woman and one man are supposed to be married for life. And, and the scripture doesn't recognize anything else. Uh, you're saying in 2023, yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. The Bible says that, that that's marriage. Marriage is between a man and, and a woman. It's for life. But you know what? The, the, the church has a lot to say about what's happening in, uh, in our society. But when it comes to the um, living of it before people, you know, when you look at the figures for the church, and I'm not talking about life again, I'm talking about the church at large here. But when it comes to divorce and remarriage, uh, sex outside marriage, pornography, the church is just like the world very often. It's got the same things going on. And in, in the reality is that if you, if you look at the church, the, the church has played a part in the deterioration of our culture. It has paid a part, played a part in bringing it to the place where we are today. And yes, that's wrong. But you know what? The church needs to deal with its own sin too. The church needs to be honest and actually deal with its own sin. Uh, we can't be high and mighty and look down on other people. Uh, you know, if, 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 if the Bible says it's wrong, if morality... If the Bible gives us a morality that's true and that's right, and we don't live it, then what right do we have to comment on a culture that's taken it two steps further than we've, than we've gone in our church? So we need to be careful of that. We, we need to take the log out of our own eyes if we're going to help a culture. I think, you know, with all the scandal and all the abuse and everything else that, that's gone on in the church, I think the church has lost credibility. It's lost its voice as far as the world is concerned. I think the world, the world looks at the church and says, yeah, but look at you guys. And I think we need to live holy lives. Listen, folks, if we who have the spirit of the living God dwelling in us can't be satisfied in him, what are we going to tell the world about their lives? You know, we need to take the log out of our own eyes. And then something else that you need to do, you need to remember that you don't know it all. Don't, you see, when you become the critic... When you become the judge, what you're doing is you're acting like you are the law. And you're not the law. You, you don't know it all. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8.1, Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Knowledge just puts us in the place where we get proud. And I think that's often the problem for us when we become judges and critics. We're just proud. You know, we think we've got it together. We know better. And, and we look down our noses on other people. Isn't that what the Pharisees did to Jesus? They were proud. They had an impenetrable cast-iron barrier of pride that Jesus couldn't get through. And that's what he's doing in Matthew 23. He is pummeling them to try and find some chink, some break, so the truth can get through to them and, and turn them around. And you know, when we become the judges, we become proud. We think we have it together. You don't have it together. I don't have it together. There but for the grace of God go I. If it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ and, and his working in your life, where would you be? What would you be doing today? If it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and his glorious work in you, a sinner, in me, a sinner, where, where would we be? So the biggest problem for the critic is pride. And people are usually blind to their own pride. Have you noticed that? That when somebody's proud, they don't see it. You, know, you rarely hear somebody coming in and saying, you know what, I'm proud. They don't see it. 
Uh, well, it's, it's kind of, uh, what happens is we're, we're blind to it in ourselves. Uh, when it comes to judging your brother, you need to be very careful. Paul lays out in, in, in Romans 14. Uh, and, and what he's doing, he's dealing with relationships in the church, and he's dealing with the fact that uh, where people take issue over non-essential items. Now, understand this. There are essential things in Scripture. There are things that Scripture says that are true. They are true. They were true yesterday. They will be true today. They will be true tomorrow. They will be true eternally. They are true because the Bible says them. There are a lot of things that we take from the Scripture, though, and we kind of uh, we, we move them on, and we, we, we get convictions. It's not wrong. It's not wrong for somebody to have a conviction about, about one thing or another. Uh, you may have. But the things that are clear in Scripture are, are right and wrong. The, the things that you take from it and you develop further, that, that's, that, that's not something you can force on somebody else. And Paul gives you a great example of it in Romans 14. Uh, he said, Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, uh, another who is weak eateth herbs. So one guy said, listen, I can eat meat offered to idols. Doesn't, idols are nothing. It doesn't mean anything to me. That's what Paul said, right? Somebody else said, no, I'm not going to eat meat offered to idols. And in fact, in case it was offered to idols, I'm not going to eat any meat. I'm just going to eat vegetables, right? <clears throat> and um, he says, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. Well, Paul, Paul, Paul allows space for both. You know, for, for, for one to eat meat, and he says, well, that's okay. Right? Uh, and for another just to eat vegetables, he says, well, well, that's okay too. Don't judge each other. For God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? Ooh, you know what God is saying there? He's saying, my servant. Who, you, who, who do you think you are to judge my servant? Who do you think you are to be in that place where, where you just... Now, again, we're, we're not saying there are certain things that are clear, scriptural, Right and wrong, and those will always be right and wrong. There are other things that, you know what, <clears throat> are um, incidentals and they're uh, people's persuasions. And he says, you don't judge your, friend, your, your brother on those things. He's, he's my servant. I'll judge him if he needs judging. Uh, <clears throat> to his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, and he shall be holding up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above, above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now, that's great truth there. You need to be persuaded that what you're doing is right in your mind. In the incidental things, by the way. You, 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 can't, you can't look at the, uh, you know, at, the, at, at the black and whites of Scripture and change those around. But when it comes to these incidental things, when it comes to these uh, uh, things that are after Scripture, you need to be persuaded in your own mind and then do it. And nobody needs to stop you from doing it. That need, you need to be doing doing those things, right? But don't judge your brother because he sees it differently. Don't look at your brother uh, because he, do, he, he does it differently. Um, let me skip on down. Verse 10 says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Christianity is unique in its ability to actually tear itself apart. It really is. Uh, why dost thou set at not thy brother? You know, the, what we can do is, you know, well, he's not doing it my way. He's not doing it the way I think he should do it. Therefore, he's nothing. That's not scriptural. That's not love. That's not what Jesus Christ told you to do. So we need to be careful when it comes to judging the brethren. Listen, if something is clear in scripture, 
It's wrong. Is adultery wrong? Yes. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, it will always be wrong. Very clear. There are a lot of things that are very clear in Scripture that are right and wrong. There are a lot of things that are not so clear. And you want to be the judge. And you want to make it all fit into your little box and go the way, because you know what? We're all prejudiced, basically. All of us are prejudiced. You want to make it go the way you want it to go. And you look at the situation and you want to actually make them fall in line with what you want. And so you judge them and you make nothing of your brother. And God says, he's my servant. I'll deal with him if he needs to deal with him. You leave it alone. There's a story told, and I think it's true, right? Uh, but uh, a guy called Admiral Phipps. He was the admiral of the British Navy that was fighting off Canada in the 1750s. Uh, he's the commander of the British fleet, and he was told to anchor outside Quebec. He arrived early. There was a, there was a battle going on, and he was to wait for the land forces to arrive because he was to uh, give them a covering support when they went in to go into battle. Well, he's sitting there waiting. And you have your, your classic Protestant Catholic issue going on. He's looking at the cathedral in Quebec, and he sees all these saints on the cathedral, and it's bugging him, right? So here's what he does. Uh, he sets his cannons up, and he has the fleet knock all the saints off the cathedral, right? <clears throat> Which is all right and fine until the land forces arrived, and here's the fleet with no cannonballs, no ability to actually give support because they had wasted them all on the saints. The application, therefore, is this. You know what Christians often do? Christians often turn their guns on each other. And they go after each other, and they make little of each other. And you know what? There's a battle to be fought, but it's not against each other. We have an enemy that would love to destroy us, destroy the church, destroy the culture. And you and I need not to be shooting at the enemies, at the, at, at the saints. We need to be shooting at the enemy. We need to save our ammunition for the enemy. You see, a critical spirit does no good. It just does damage. That sharp, critical spirit that just wants to find fault does no good. It just causes a problem. And you and I need to understand, Jesus is saying, don't have that kind of a spirit. Don't have that kind of a spirit about you. Um, and we can easily fall prey to it. You see, we're the good guys. We're right. We have truth on our side, don't we? But you know what? In this great household of gods, there's all kinds of differences. There's all kinds of differences. Some are on major things, and they need to be resolved, maybe. Others are incidental things. Let me give each other space. We need not to be in the place where we're guilty of wasting our ammunition on the saints. Are you guilty of having a critical spirit with your spouse, your children, the church, or with the brethren? Are you guilty of that? You, you need to confess it because it's sin. Don't do, listen, don't do the wiffle dust thing. It's a discerning spirit. That won't help you, and it won't help anybody else. Are, are, are you destroying your kids with a caustic eye? You need to confess it as sin. You, you, you need to deal with it. You can deal with it. God will help you deal with it. But you know what? God can't help us deal with something we don't recognize as being sin. 
And then finally, is there sin in your life? And you've been saying, well, don't judge me. You can't judge me. God knows my heart. I, I, can, I can do this. But you know in your heart of hearts, very clearly, you're on the wrong side of God on this issue. Now, human beings are moral creatures, so what we do is we make the wrong we're doing right in our minds. And you can appeal to a whole bunch of you. You can look at the culture out there and listen to anything you want to do today. Short of murdering somebody, you know, it's fine. <clears throat> Almost anything you want to do. You can look at the culture and say, well, look, everybody's doing it. But what God said is true today. It was true yesterday, and it will be true tomorrow. And if you run foul of God and do your own thing and go your own way, it's going to catch you. It's going to catch you in the end. Don't do it. And, and if you are listening to all this and you've never come to that place where you've trusted Christ as your Savior, this is your moment. Run to him. Run to Jesus. You know, that Jesus is not going to judge you, criticize you, critique you, and tell you all that you need to change in your life before he saves you. You know what he's going to do? He's going to receive you. He died for you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you will flee to him right now, he will save you. You say, I don't know how to do it. Listen, are you a sinner? Well, of course you are. We all are. Is there a penalty for sin? Well, there is. It separates us from God now and for eternity. That's, that's what the Bible says. And you know what? The Spirit of God is good at doing his work of convincing men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I'm sure he's working in your heart right now, showing you that's true. <clears throat> but you know what? Jesus died on the cross to take your sin, my sin, all of our sin, in his own body on the tree, and he paid the price for it completely, and he did. It's completed. It's sorted. It's dealt with. And if you will call out to him right now, he will save you. You just got to do it. So if this, if you've got a critical spirit, listen, confess it, deal with it. Don't don't justify it. If you've got sin in your life and you're a believer, listen, deal with that. Don't pretend that you know the Bible says um, I can do what I like because nobody can judge me. There is a judge. He, he judges clearly. And if you're not saved, run to him now and get saved. Let's stand for prayer.